Hey friends, what do we do when we ask the Lord for mercy and it doesn't seem like it comes through or we find out maybe it's different than we expected? Well, you're going to hear a story about that today. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 301, Lisa Apollo and the Lord's mercy. She speaks so tenderly about uh, the way that the Lord came through for her. It's, it's a really great story. Let's go. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for downloading. I am always honored when I see every single download. You mean a lot to me. So thanks for listening. As we're going through this conversation, I know that you're going to get some uh, some nuggets, some wisdom, a little bit of something you go, wow, I can't believe God did that thing. Would you do me a favor and when you get to that moment, would you just take out your phone and just shoot a little text over to a friend and say, hey, you have to hear this. Uh, Put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram or I don't know, wherever the kids are hanging out these days, TikTok and share it. I would love that. You can tag me, uh, tag Halfway There podcast. We're on almost, almost everywhere. And uh, I would love that. Would love to to see what uh, is really resonating with you. Thanks for that. And if you're able, you're interested, you want to help keep the show running, you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button and support uh, the show. That would mean a lot to me. All right. So thanks for doing that, guys. I can't wait to have this conversation today. It's it's going to be, uh, we're going to hear a story of what God's done. So today, our guest, she's a speaker and an author, including her latest book, Life Can Be Good Again. Don't we all need that after two years of pandemic and maybe multiple other things, putting your world back together after it all falls apart. Lisa Apollo. Lisa, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you for having me, Eric. I've listened to your show for a while, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Uh, It's good to have you on the show and just hear a little bit of your story. Uh, you know, obviously you're more than a speaker and author. So tell us about you, your life, kind of where God has you right now. Sure. So I'm a mom of seven. I'm a single mom of seven. Um, Having said that, I have launched five. So, uh, but you know, big kids still take up a lot of time in your life. There's, there's a fallacy. (laughs) People say, oh, what do you, now you just have two. I'm like, no, I, I actually still have seven (laughs) and they, they take up room and and bandwidth, but um, I am a longtime homeschool mom. So that's something I don't often write about, but I used to speak about it quite a bit. And um, I am like, I'd have to add it up. It's in my 20 something fourth year, maybe with a few more to go. Wow. Okay. So you're a pro, you're a pro homeschooler. Well, I, (laughs) Hey, I've been around for a while. I've seen their curriculums come and go. I know it works for our family, but every child is different. And they're all, each one is just, you know, trying to figure out what God is doing with this particular person. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely takes that, right. To uh, that, that sort of personal attention. That's one of the advantages, I guess, of, of homeschooling. Well, interesting. All right. So uh, I want to hear more about kind of where you are and, and how you got to this place. And of course we'll talk about life can be good again, as well as we get uh, later on. So I don't, I don't actually know what part of the world you're in. Where, where, where are you from? I'm in Florida, sunny Florida. I heard you say it's uh, rainy, cold, but it's sunny today. <laughs> yeah, in Denver today, it's cold. We get 
like April, May, this time of year, we get a few like days of this. We don't get weeks like some places like where I grew up in the Midwest. No offense, Midwesterners. Uh, but in Colorado, it's we get that a little bit. So today it's, it's always noteworthy when you get a little bit of rain. Yeah. But sunny Florida, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's going to hit 90s, I think, today, which is a little bit hot, a little bit early. But that humidity is coming in quick. So everybody who moved here uh-huh. during the winter thinking, this is great, they're about to really experience Florida. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you step outside and you're like, oh, I'm sweating. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I get that. Uh, the thing about Florida that amazes me is all the little, like, the little lizards that run around. Oh, yeah. The like, anolis. Like squirrels. Yes. Yeah, those are those are wild. Yeah. That's, that's so weird to see. Anyway, I grew up in Iowa. What are you going to do? Um, so are, are you always from Florida? I am. Like you grew I was up in, born and raised okay. in Gainesville, home of the Fighting Gators and Tim Tebow. All right. That's, that's good. Did you go there? I did. Yeah. I went there yeah. undergrad and graduate school. Oh, awesome. Okay. And did you grow up in a Christian family? What was that like? Well, I grew up, uh, yes and no. So uh, my family grew up taking me to church. Our whole family would go to church every Sunday. My dad was a deacon. You know, my mom early on taught vacation Bible school and it was the rhythm of our family. Um, However, as I got older, I began to see that my parents that the faith that I was learning at church was a little bit different than the faith my parents had. Uh, They Mm. did not believe in any of the miracles of the old Testament. Now that might be a little different now, but really when I was growing up, they were like, Jonah never swallowed, you know, no, Jonah was never swallowed by a whale. That didn't happen. Just a lot of those. And then big differences in the creation account that really came to a head my senior year when I began to really just come my, my faith was unraveling because I thought if I can't believe the first part of Genesis and trust God with that, then I'm not sure I can believe any of this if he's not a creator God. And so for me, that was a real crisis of faith. And, um, the best thing that happened in that time was I went to my music minister, super active in the music ministry. So I went to my music minister and he said, you know what, put these other questions aside, put creation aside, put these other questions aside. Those are important, but they're not central. Who is Jesus? Right. And it brought me right back. And so as I worked through that, I thought, you know, I know who Jesus is and I know what he's done for me. And then all the other questions I can answer as I grow up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that is really the central question, right? We get all excited about uh, lots and lots of other things. Uh, but who Jesus is, is kind of the most important thing, right? Yes, for sure. All that. So how did you first meet Jesus? Well, you know, I heard about him as I was a kid. I mean, I just remember growing mm-hmm. up with the hymns, with the vacation Bible school, with the, so I grew up in a Baptist tradition with the, you know, going to GAs. My grandmother was my Sunday school teacher at one point. <laughs> um, and I know at some point my parents, like I never wrote it in my Bible. So I'm not one of those people who can say on such and such a day, you know, my yeah. husband did that for all of my children, but we didn't do that. And so, but I was about eight years old where I came to understand that I was a sinner and that I needed um, to be saved. And so I remember going and talking to my pastor and he drew out these little diagrams for me about taking, you know, me off the throne and putting Christ on the throne, putting God on the throne. And so I, that is the time where I became a believer. However, when I was in high school, I began to make some bad decisions and, um, at the same time, um, I, I really, that, you know, so 
I went to, I, I knew I was making bad decisions and I got caught making some bad decisions and got in no. trouble making some bad decisions, which gave me a lot of time in my room to think about those decisions. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and that summer went to, I was 15, went to a um, camp, you know, our little youth camp that we always did, Ridgecrest, North Carolina, if anybody knows that, where's that, where that is. And um, just knew I needed to rededicate my life. And so I, you know, honestly, I never went forward. I wasn't one of those kids who raised my hand because I was so intent that God would not make this a mountaintop experience. And I just remember praying in my seat, like, Lord, do not let this be a mountaintop experience. Like, let this be real. And um, when I got back home, I was in a group of friends and the boy who would become my husband, who was just a friend at that point said, you're so different. You are so different. And I knew, I knew God was changing me from the inside out. Yeah. Why didn't you want it to be a mountaintop experience? That's very interesting. Well, that's, that's sort of the opposite of camp experience. I know. Everywhere. I felt like if it was a, if it was just a mountaintop experience, it definitely was for me, but I didn't want it to be something that went away. That when I got back to the same friends and the same school and the same struggles and the everyday life, I wanted a real faith. And so I didn't want it just to be this moment of passion, you know, reacting in the mm -hmm. moment. I wanted it to be like a decision that carried through, that carried through when I got home. And it really did yeah. that. I marked that as my adult time of really owning my faith. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, uh, I'm not one of these guys who will, uh, disparage emotion. Cause I think it's important and God, God loves it, but it can be temporary, right? Emotions are temporary. And so if you in, are in that moment, it sounds like you were very aware, like you didn't want this to be just a thing that you experienced for a few minutes maybe, but you wanted it to be something that you were doing for your whole lifetime. Yes, for sure. I had a lot to learn. Yeah. I had a lot of work to do in me. That is for sure. But to own it as an adult and say, I realize that I haven't been living for you. I have not been. I call myself a Christian and I make these other decisions and I want that to change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's, that's amazing. So then what happened after that? Where'd you go? So I, well, that boy who said, you've changed so much. Um, we had been really good friends and, um, so, and really my spiritual life is partly wrapped up in him just because we grew together. We were so young. I, he, yeah. we were having an after church fellowship, youth fellowship. And he brought a friend to church and the friend had like long blonde hair way down to her waist. <laughs> and rumor <laughs> was that she had just won the Hawaiian Tropic bikini contest. So I was like, wow. okay, enough of this friend stuff. So I put out the word. Was that true? By the way, was that true? Yes. Yeah, it was. It was true. Yeah. Oh, wow. Her mom okay. had, a. Uh, had known this nice Danny Apollo boy and was like, my daughter needs to meet you. Why don't you take her to church? So I was like, um, if Danny Apollo asks me out, I will say yes. So we were, I was just before my 16th year, he was 16 and we were, we, you know, began to date. He was my first date. He's my only date. We really served together a lot. We grew together. We were so young. He came in from a very different background. His father was a missionary. His father had been in a concentration camp in, um, wow. during world war II. 
in because he was he was Dutch and so he'd been in the Dutch underground. So anyway, he came from a very different background than me. And so it we really were at a place where we kind of grew together. He had some growing to do to come from like a legalistic background. I had a lot of growing to do coming from a what's the opposite of legalism? Uh there's a word for it and I can't remember. Mm. I'm really good at knowing these things, but not the seminary terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of <laughs> I don't yeah. know, more loose. Yeah, kind of just, a... you know, I, I, I needed some, like, we'd never memorized scripture. We'd never done Bible study in our home. Sure. We went to church, but church stayed on Sundays and sermons were to be unpacked and critiqued. And yeah. so I really needed to make my faith, weave it in as part of my life, as part of my decision-making, as part of my as everything, my conversation, my goals, you know, to take my agenda and to serve the Lord. So anyway, I would say that was next. You know, we went through college, went through law school, was in a lawyer for a while. And then I wanted, uh, Dan wanted two kids. We got married in college. Dan wanted two kids. I wanted three kids, made a deal to get the three kids. <laughs> and then God get, ended up giving us seven. So very much vetoed us in that regard. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it doesn't matter what you think, right? right? And that was a whole nother <laughs> learning curve for us. Sure. Okay. So is, is you went to law school and you became a lawyer and everything? Like you yeah, I practiced. Took the, took the bar? That's practiced uh, in Florida, practiced in Orlando and Tallahassee, our state capital. And um, I did litigation. So I did trial work. I did litigation oh, cool. defense for mostly professional liability defense for attorneys and accountants and those kind of things cases where they were getting sued. Yeah. I didn't know lawyers could be Christians. I know. And I was a journalism major. So it's both a journalist background and then a lawyer. Not Oh, that's so that's where the writing comes yeah, from. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And there's a lot of writing in journalism. Um yeah. and I loved it. I loved getting paid to argue. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um but you know, as I began to have children, it's really, really hard to do to to pursue a career at a hundred percent level that I had been doing pre-kids and then be the mom I wanted to be in, you know, for my kids. I just felt like I was never measuring up in either capacity, that mm -hmm. something was always falling through the cracks. And I, I could do both, but I couldn't do them both at the same time. So I was like full-time, part-time. And I was really an attorney at the time where women were still, the, the generation before me had had to choose. They either didn't get married. Um, if they want to make partner, they didn't get married. Um, and if they wanted to practice law, they didn't have kids. So I was the first attorney in my statewide firm. We had multiple offices. We were a large firm to have a child. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you're obviously growing through all that time. You're kind of making these commitments. You're having to trust the Lord in some way, new ways, right? As you're having more children, you're going, what's going on? You know? So tell me like, tell me how, what were some key moments maybe when you had to trust the Lord or when you learned, um, about something about him as you were, as you were kind of, I call it learning his ways, right? Learning, learning to relate and live with the Lord. Right. There were several key moments, one was where we had something happen in my extended family and it caused me to really have to go back and question if I lose everything, I lose my family over 
what I believe, um, is it worth it? And I was tucked away in the mountains for a week with my husband before cell phones. And Mm. I really was, I was already reading through the gospel of John and it was just a week of reading through the gospel and saying, yes, yes, I believe every bit of this and I will stand on this truth, not in a, not in a fist in the air way, but in a, in a solid, this is what I believe. This is my foundation way. And, um, that didn't happen. We, we navigated that really hard place in my extended family, but it was, it was faith forming for me. Um, the, Mm. uh, there were a lot of places, you know, there were a lot of places where, you know, in parenting, in our finances, in, you know, marriage issues where I was having to trust the Lord. One comes to mind really clearly. And that is, I, um, had, was still working as an attorney part-time and I was got pregnant with my fourth child and I decided to stay home. And so I pulled back and I just resigned full time, you know, I was going to stay home full time. So give up this income. And it was still pretty good. Even as a part-time income, it was still pretty good. And we were still really relying on it. So Dan was going to become the sole income for our family. And we made, we not only made that huge shift, but we also, God began to impress on us that we really weren't putting him first in our finances. So we had to kind of change up the way we were tithing and how we were doing it, like giving him the first and the best mm. instead of like, if we have it left over at the end of the month. And that was a very big shift for me because we did, we were already rubbing nickels together with these little ones, you know? And so I came home full time on one income, trying to honor God in our finances. And Dan came home one day and said that his company had made this uh, decision. They were taking away all these accounts that he, you know, had for the whole year, giving them to a, a creating a new store and they were going to back, back date it. And so he was going to lose all of this, um, bonus that was already accrued. He would accrue bonus through the year and they would give some of it, but they would wait. And at the end of the year, you would get that accrued bonus. All of that went away. And they said, actually you owe us money. (laughs) And I was like, of course the justice lawyer me was like, Oh, they can't do this. No. Right. No doubt. And, um, and then they finally said, well, we'll just call it even, you just won't get the bonus. And I was just, I was so, as you can understand, just angry and fearful. It was right at Christmas. We had, that was our entire Christmas. We had nothing. We had nothing. And I had all of my family coming for Christmas. How was I going to feed them? How was I going to get anything for my children under the tree? And I backed down the driveway. Dan and I kind of got into an argument because we were, because I was just carrying this worry. I backed down the driveway. I opened the mailbox, get the mail out. And in there is an envelope with five $100 gift cards to our local grocery store. And wow. all I had to do was buy a package of gum and they would give me the rest in cash. So basically $500. Oh, wow. And I had to like put my name in a hat, like didn't think anything of it months earlier. And it was just God saying, I will take care of you. If you honor mm. me, which we had done, we had tried to honor him with our finances. And it wasn't us generating this income. It was God saying, I will honor you if you will put me first. And I remember going back up that driveway, like showing that envelope, just being so humbled that I had acted out in anger instead of trust. Yeah. Interesting. It's kind of funny how that works sometimes, right? God is actually, uh, cause he had to be working in that even before you were 
scary. That's so true. Right? The provision was, was yeah. sitting in my mailbox as I was arguing with my husband and stirred up with fear that God wouldn't come through. Right. Right. Wow. I love that. Okay. Well, that's, so that's really fascinating. Sounds like a really formational kind of event. Um, you know, the other thing I like to, I like to ask about is always the dark night of the soul. Like, so have you had a moment or a season when you felt like God was far away or absent or maybe not holding up his end of the bargain? Mm. I've had dry periods. I would not say I've had mm. dark nights of the soul where I um, didn't believe God. But there have definitely been periods, probably my own doing, where I had drawn away or I wasn't making time for the Lord, um, where they felt more dry. And, you know, we'll probably get into it, but definitely after my husband passed away, I mean, there were some real hard questions. I had some assumptions about what God would do for us if we stepped out in huge faith and had these seven kids. Surely he would let us both live to see them grown and raised. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's a good point. Um, so yeah, I would expect that that would be a season when you would have a lot of questions for God, like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? Um, so tell me, tell me that story. Tell me what happened and how your kind of faith grew through that. Sure. We were, um, you know, there were no signs, no symptoms, no warning that there was anything wrong with Dan. We know now that there was an underlying heart condition that had we known probably was treatable. Um, mm. but we didn't know. And so on a Friday morning, actually father's day weekend, I woke up just enough not to open my eyes, but just enough to hear him breathing funny. And I reached out my arm and kind of nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And I thought he would roll over and we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a couple hours. And he, um, he didn't roll over. And so I began to wake up more to his, his strange breathing and flipped on the overhead light and could see immediately that something was critically wrong. Um, he was unresponsive and we began to do CPR. We called 911. They walked us through. My kids were right outside. They were sleeping on sleeping bags right outside of our master bedroom. And so they came, the older ones came rushing in. My four-year-old had actually crawled sometime during the night in between us. So there she was mm. laying in between as I'm trying to swab his throat yeah. and trying to talk to him and see, you know, trying to grasp what's going on. Um, so yeah, just went into management mode, crisis management mode, you know, take the little ones upstairs, Rachel, go down and get our fireman neighbor, neighbor, Seth, call 911, Nick, we began nine one. we began CPR, mm. we got through almost two rounds and the paramedics were there. So I thought, okay, he is in good hands. You know, um, he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and finds out he has to miss work. He loved his work. And I loved watching him mm. thriving in this, in this new job he had. So they, you know, they won't let you stay in the room while they're doing that. They shushed me out. And I just was pacing the floor outside in the living room, just audibly crying out to God, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Um, both hopeful mm. and also very aware of the gravity of this situation. Like one of those times where it, it could go either way. And, but for the mercy of God, uh, you know, it would not go the way we wanted but let's circle yeah. back around to that. So, um, 
they took him by ambulance and I followed and it was just a few, you know, minutes after I got into the emergency room, when they called me into that room, you never want to go into and said they had worked on him for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. And so he was 46. Um, our youngest was four. Our oldest was 19. We had a house full of tweens and teens and little ones. And he was the sole income for our family. He was a good dad. I just, he was the one who was taking care of his mom. I just did not know how in the world I was going to get through the next day or the next week or the next few years to see these kids grow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine that for I, one thought that strikes me is they worked on him for two hours. Like that's, that's some dedication. Yeah. Right? I think to that like, was between the to, time in the home and the time in the ambulance wow. and then there in the emergency room. But yes. Amazing. Um, Okay, so obviously this changes your life. Yeah. This is God's, you know, this may, many people are going to ask a lot of questions. So what was your experience with God through this season? You probably were obviously in shock and you went through a lot of a lot of things probably, but what was your experience specifically with the Lord through that? Yeah. I would just say to the listener at this point, um, you may have not walked this exact path, but you may have walked a, a path of sh shattering loss. Mm -hmm. And maybe for you, it was a child loss or a miscarriage or a spouse that said, I never loved you and walked out or an adult relationship that is soured. Man, there's so many ways we can come to a place where life just implodes the life that we knew and we are walking in a place we never expected. Like I, this is not what I signed up for. Right. Um, so mm. how did I see God in that? I saw him in ways that I never would have otherwise. And I am so eternally grateful for that as painful as it was. And that kind of loss is raw, physical, gut-wrenching, hollowed out, carried it with you all through the day, wake up to it again in the morning, groundhog day, pain. Um, and yet at the same time, God was so present. He was present palpably. I could feel the prayers of people for us. I don't know if anybody else has ever mm. experienced that. If you've ever walked a situation where you can feel people praying for you. And, um, so he just, you know, at the same time I was reeling with the emotion and fear and sadness, loneliness, you know, all of that, God was downloading truth to me in ways that were so clear and so fast. It was such a rich season and I was so needy for it. He was bringing back scripture, scriptures I had memorized with my children years before. He was bringing back stories from the Bible and giving me very personal application for my situation right then. Um, and he was doing it for my kids. The same day he kind of in the car by myself gave me this very relevant application of a story in scripture that I knew, you know, and had studied as had known since I was a kid. He brought the same story to my older son. And when I told him, this is what God told me today, my son said, he gave me that same story. And I can't even remember what he told my son, but it wow. was like a different application. 
So he yeah. was, we saw him so alive, so active, his hand in us and around us. And I think that's part of the grace that sustains us, you know, because we always think how in the world would I make it through life if blank happened? And, um, you know, God's grace is there for us. We cannot anticipate that grace that is going to sustain us. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is really kind of a, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's a grace, right? Like that is a, that's because those, that season could have been full of a lot of other things, right? I'm, I mean, sure it was full of sorrow and, and grief and pain, but also that presence of the Lord and just looking, looking for him. Sometimes people go through that and it's really like, you don't see him at all. Right. And that can be a whole different experience. Um, so that's really, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. That's, um, that's kind of a, I want to use the word sweet, even though it's kind of, that's maybe not the right word. Well, it's, I mean? it's crazy because it was, tender, the, maybe. it was the worst of times and it was the best of times. Yeah. And both of those can be true. Yeah. 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 Isn't that right? Well, I think you're right. So friends, you know, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you've been through. I mean, I know that I mentioned early at the top, like all the, all the things we've all been through in the last couple of years, it's been very, very difficult. And, uh, man, you know what, look, maybe, maybe look, look for the Lord and, you know, he promises, Hey, seek, seek, me and you'll find, right? He, he is not far. He is not far away from the brokenhearted. Yeah. Uh, sounds like you, you felt that, uh, deeply. Okay. So you're moving through this. I don't know. How long ago was that? So that was 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Okay. So you're moving through your husband's death, reorienting to a new life. What was that like? And, and how did God, what were the moments where you were kind of challenged? Yeah. I would say every day I was challenged. Every I felt like I needed to put a sign on the back of my bedroom door that said, you can do hard things because mm -hmm. as a single mom, I was learning to parent all over again. I was having to take on parts, you know, things and responsibilities that had been Dan's. And like, for instance, we had two rental houses. They were his, he's, he was the one who like fixed them up. He was one who did the calls. He was the one who they were his. I mean, I, we would go over there and I would help him clean it out, but I didn't carry those. I didn't have to worry about them. So now all of a sudden I was dealing with the renters and with the, you know, cleaning it up and getting things fixed, just, you know, the broken water heater, the lawn, the pool, the kids, the uh, decisions that I was making, the estate work, just so much. There is so much overwhelm that comes in these kind of life implosions. And there's a lot of fear, I was fearful that my kid, I didn't know how they would act out in grief. I was fearful for their physical, mm -hmm. um, physically. I didn't know if they would have one of the same situations that Dan had. I was fearful for our finances. We were a one income family and that income was now gone. I was fearful for so like my future. It, I couldn't imagine my future. And honestly, I didn't really want it because the person that I always thought would be there yeah. wasn't there. And so I realized, you know, one of the pivotal points for me was trying to just get a handle on this fear because it was paralyzing me from moving forward. It was paralyzing me from making decisions. I was parenting out of fear. It was just dominating my thoughts. And I said to a friend one day, you know, 
expressing some of my fears for the kids. And she also has walked the hard place. She has a chronic diagnosis that's progressive and is a difficult diagnosis. And she said, I know this one. And she gave me the scripture, second Corinthians 10, five, that says that we are to take all of our thoughts captive to the truth of Christ. And so I began to do that. I went home and at first it was very, it was very intentional the whole time, but it felt very clunky at first. You know, I would have this fear and I'll kind of do three things. First is I would call out the lie under that fear. And I realized that every single one of my fears was driven by a lie. Um, like the, the fear for my um, children, my children's health. Let's just take that one. The fear, the lie was that they would die the same way their dad had. And the truth, you know, mm. so that's the lie. We don't know that. That's a lie that the yeah. enemy tries to just, you know, devastate us with and keep us on worry, anxiety. The second thing I would do is just take it captive. I would literally imagine it like being lassoed in my mind and taken out of my thoughts. And, and then I would replace it third step with the truth of Christ. So in that situation for my children, the truth is, is that Psalm 139, I think it's verse 16 says that every one of our days has been written in God's book before one of them came to be all the days ordained for me have been written in your book before one of them came to be only God knows, you know, maybe they would, but you know, um, God knows our days. He knows how we're going to leave this world and when. And so I just had to rest in that, that we could take care of medically what we needed to on this side, but that in the end, we would have to trust him. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting, it's a really um, good example of how most of life is. I think it's, it's a sort of poignant example and you know like you can't there's a lot of things you can control right so like one of the things i always pray before our episodes is we do we'll do our part right we'll do we'll do what we can do we'll record and we'll edit and i'll share it and all that but god i need you to do the work right i need you to do to control the outcome because i don't get to control that i don't get to control how our friends hear this conversation and what how he applies some of these things to their life or how he encourages them or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and I think so much of life is like that, regardless of like we, you can, you can, whatever, you can take care of your health. You can take care of your finances, but you might lose a job. You might, you know, whatever. There's lots, lots of things. And those are the things that cause us the most concern, right? Because we feel like God, uh, is in control. We say that God is in control, but if he's in control, then why does he let these things happen to us? And if he's, you know, if he's doing that, then we, if we're doing our part, we often think God's got to do his part, right? In order to do, and that should look like a certain way. And it doesn't always look that way. All you have to do is read Psalms, read, read any, any of the Bible, and you'll find out that that's not exactly how it works, but it's kind of the expectation that we have. Did you struggle with that at all? I, it revealed the idol mm. of self-control that I'd had. Yeah. And I think these, these times in life do that whenever we come up with like a diagnosis or a financial issue, or, you know, for me, the death of my husband, child loss, all these things cause us to see that, that control was a myth all along. And even though, you know, I wish 
people could see what I see. I am like, was nodding my head the entire time you were speaking because <laughs> it so resonates with me. I think it's not so much that we don't believe that God is a control, but we don't really want his control. We think we know best. We can orchestrate it best. We, if we're allowed to plan our future and plan our day today, that we can do it in such a mm. way that it would be most gratifying to us, really most satisfying. But, yeah. you know, it's really Ooh. a good place to be when you're in a place of utter dependence on God and you can't do these things. It's, it's a coming home because God created us for dependence, not for independence. And so to see that um, all along we were meant to be, you know, we were meant to be in this place where we could not control and we simply had to trust him for these things. It's not a comfortable place, but it is a place of, of blessing because it's the place where God has intended us to be. That's the relationship we were created for. Yeah. Yeah. As you're speaking, I was thinking the ultimate hubris of, of humanity is to think that we can control God by our religious activities or all the things that we that we think we should do and then expect a certain result, but it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Um, okay. So you're going through this and I heard you, you nailed it. I think with, you know, you had to see that this was an, a certain idol that you had that maybe you didn't even realize was there and you had to then surrender that and move forward and probably learn some things about yourself, about who you were and who God was wanting you to be through this season. So what, what'd you learn about yourself? Yeah, I learned a lot of things. I learned, um, that I was holding up this idol of self-control and this idol of, um, comfort. You know, I learned the expectations that I had that I hadn't really voiced it ever. I don't even think I knew it was there until it was revealed. And that is this deal that I had with God, that if I will step out in faith to do this thing, then surely yeah. your end of the bargain will look like this. And for me, that looked like if we step out in faith, you know, I had my last two when I was an older mom, I was no longer in my twenties. And, um, and so I just think I figured, you know, surely you will give us the years to see them grown. And when that didn't happen, I really had to wrestle through that. Like, why would you take this man, why would you take the, him when they're at four and six and 12 and 14? And yeah. I think what I realized is that God never calls us to, when we step out in faith, we, he never calls us to like a deal. He calls us to himself and he yeah. will be faithful in that. And it goes back to that control. It may not look like we want it to look, but we are guaranteed it over and over in scripture. He tells us limitations 322, 23 was my verse today that God is faithful every day and we can expect it. You know, um, I came to see God's faithfulness. Um, mm. I came to see too. I don't think that's anything I've shared with anybody, but that every time I hit a new place in life, a new hard place that I was fearful all over again, that God would be faithful. Cause it's not that we, we, we know God will be faithful. I think we'd all nod our head and say, yes, God is faithful. We can sing that song. Great is thy faithfulness. The question is, will yeah. you be faithful to me in this? <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And so absolutely. I came to see that our whole life, we will, he will constantly allow us to be in a new situation where that is the question. And we have to 
rely on him because we can't see. But you know, yeah. last night I did not, I was planning on coming on here with this podcast and I did not think, you know, I'll do that podcast if the sun comes up. I'm not sure if it is, but if it does, then we'll go ahead and I'll, you know, all my day's plans will pan out because we all know the sun's going to come up. We make our plans. We move forward knowing that tomorrow the sun will come up like it always has. And that first limitations, it says that God's faithfulness is, is new every morning. It's like that sun, just as faithful that while we can't see it in that dark night, we know it is there and that the, it will come the time will come where our faith will be made sight and we will see him faithful in this to us. And I think just seeing him over and over and over as I prayed through our needs, as I prayed through for wisdom for my kids, as I prayed through nights of loneliness, uh, I have just seen God faithful. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I love that. And you've learned to trust him, right? It sounds like it, in ways that you probably, you certainly wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. And I hope it never goes away. I hope I have moved to a new spot and I don't go backwards that when life gets comfortable as, as I feel good again, you know, as I'm no longer, as I'm used to this new rhythm of single parenting, I hope that I, I always will trust him to this degree. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I love what you said too. When we step out in faith, he never calls us into a deal, right? Like that's the, that's the temptation. He calls us to himself. That is the goal. My friends, he is our prize. I love that line. in uh, it's that song by, oh, now I can't remember it. How he loves that one. David Crowder. Yeah. Right? Um, I just love that line. He is our portion or we are his portion and he is our prize, yes. right? He's the thing that we get. You don't, we, if you're focused on heaven, um, that's not about, it's not about that, about the, the not having any of the sorrow. It's about having the Lord. Read that passage in Revelation. It's about being with him. We are his, I will be their God. They will be my people. He says throughout scripture, that's the goal. And when we have that, it's a whole different, it's a game changer. It's, it, it's not easy. I'm not saying that, but it is a game changer. Okay. So when did you start writing and like, how did you, how did you decide this was something that you were going to push into? Um, that was nowhere on the, my horizon in those first, really even first years of grief. It took me a lot longer to get through grief than sure. I thought. I was no so doubt. grief naive. I thought, let us get through the first year and we'll be good. But somewhere around the third year, <laughs> I actually had started to go. I was like, you know what? So I had let my law license go. I had actually retired from law because I was in the home. I had seven kids. I was actively homeschooling. I was like, you know, chairing the debate club and starting this thing and the book club for these kids. And, you know, I was a hub in the wheel of our home. And I was very, very happy doing that and thought that would be what I would always do. And um, after Dan died about three years in, I thought, you know what, at least time to kind of start thinking long-term about your family and you can go back to law and do this on a part-time basis. And so I hired my daughter to be me in the home, my oldest daughter to be me in the home for 15 hours a week. And I began to study because I had to take the bar exam again. Is it harder the second time or is it easier? I didn't. I, so I never took it, but I was studying for it. Oh, okay. And, um, and it was all coming back. That's the beautiful thing about law. It it doesn't change. It's like the same from like England, you know, 12th century. It was all coming back. I loved it. I thought, well, this is good. And um, I like this and I remember it. And then somewhere in there, God began to plant this idea of writing. And I kind of just 
pushed it to the side and thought, well, I can do that and do law. And if you've ever had God nudge you to do something, it you <laughs> cannot ignore it. And so it became bigger and bigger and stronger. And when I just got down on my floor, carpet in my room and face down and said, this feels so unreasonable. I know I can do law. I know I can support, help support my family that way. And I don't know what this looks like, but I trust you. It was another, it was another point of trust to say, I feel like I'm walking off this cliff, but you've got me right. Like his hands underneath me. And so uh, around year three, I just started blogging because I thought I would freelance. And then I, as I researched freelancing, I thought, well, you actually have to have a blog. So, you know, started my blog and uh, it's been going for about eight years, maybe because I was about 2015, I think 2014, maybe late 2014. And again, I did not want to be the grief girl. I was like, you know what? I have walked through that hard place. And the last thing you want to do is go back to help somebody else through I mean, not that you don't want to help somebody else through. It's just hard to revisit those places that you've walked. I thought I would write about homeschooling or parenting or Bible study, things God was teaching me. But God, the, the posts that I would write, the writing that I did on grief, on weathering the storms, shattering loss, those were the ones that connected. And that's where God just kind of opened the door and I just kept writing in that space. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, tell us about how you decided to write Life Can Be Good Again and uh, what people will get from it. Sure. So this is really more than, it's not Lisa Apollo's book. I wrote it, but it's it's more than my story because we wanted it to be a book for anyone walking through some kind of deep disappointment or shattering loss. So there are stories in there. There's stories of a couple of women whose marriages imploded, um, a friend of mine who um, third child had a diagnosis at like six weeks old, a very chronic, difficult diagnosis of, of a certain kind of epilepsy and how she had to walk, has had to walk through that shattering place. But the book is really, you know, early on in my own journey, I remember thinking I would just love to have to know somebody who is just a few steps ahead of me, who is, can be like the flesh and bones. And I can see has walked through this. And because, you know, I cerebrally, I knew God would be faithful, even though I was wrestling that out in the day to day, but I wanted to see it on a person. I wanted to see that their kids were okay, that they were okay. And that, that they were smiling again. I thought I will never smile again. I will, I might make it through this, but I will never really be joyful again. Wow. Yeah. And, um, so to this book is really me reaching back to the person who's a few steps behind me to say, man, this, this is, this hurts. And let's go to that place of raw emotion and hard questions and let's process it together. There's a way to do it. You don't have to skip through it. You don't have to try to fake that you're fine, but then let's like take some tender steps. Cause there are some things you can do in this life that feels out of control, to, to start moving yourself forward and to find that life can be good again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one question that's in my mind, like, obviously I want everybody who's going through grief to get the, to get uh, this book, but when should people get this book? When is this the perfect time? Like maybe not right after something happens, I'm guessing. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause a lot of people have thought from the title. In fact, I just had two women who lost babies at full term. Full oh term, goodness. baby stopped moving. Oh. They had to go in and deliver their child, mm. you know, into heaven. 
And so they were worried about reading this book because they were like, you know what? I just don't want somebody to give me a bunch of platitudes right now. I just am not feeling it. And I get that. I get that place. And yet both of them emailed me or, or messaged me, texted me and said, this book is like, you're reading my mail. You are in my thoughts. Because you've been through it. I've been through it. So we do not skip to the good part. And, you know, I found in grief that there were, there, there's more than one book. I think there's, I, I need the books right away. Mm. And I read more than one book. So this may be one of the books that, that God uses to help bring you comfort. But it is not one that is just going to um, give you a bunch of platitudes and Christianese. Because there's, there is no way, unless you process that very real pain, uh, to find that life can be good again. You know, I think one thing that helped me, in fact, this whole concept didn't even come until I was in my second year of grief. So you would think by second year, you're feeling a lot better. But the second year for a lot of people is really worse because the fog of grief is gone. That soft landing is removed and you're in this reality of this is my life. And so I remember just sitting in, in the car one day, journaling out, like telling God very honestly, I don't like my life. And hmm. he didn't give, he didn't audibly say these words, but as I wrote, I realized that this was not God's plan B that though this was very unexpected for me and it felt like mm. I was living out second best, like, okay, I am now consigned to live out the leftovers of the life that I wanted because everything good is now behind me that God doesn't give us the leftovers. He never would give us second best. He didn't turn his head or overlook something that this is God's chapter two. And as such, even though it was unexpected for me, by definition, if God allowed it, it has as much abundance and joy and good as all the days before. And it didn't immediately make me like feel feel like, oh, I'm all better now. But what it did was it kind of changed my perspective so that I could lean into that truth until my heart, until my emotions caught up. Yeah. That's such a good distinction between what, you know, God's not surprised, but even, even though we are, he's, he's still present in that and, and still, still something there for us. Wow. I love that. Okay. People, friends, you can get the uh, book, you can get life can be good again, uh, putting your world back together after it all falls apart at Amazon or where we get books. I also have links always at halfway there podcast.com. Uh, Lisa, thanks for sharing some of your story. I really, really deeply appreciate um, how you walk through all that and just the encouragement that you shared us with, with us. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? You know, I'll just circle back around. I think very early in telling the story of Dan's death, I talked about uh, crying out for God's mercy audibly. And I thought that God's mercy would come if God would heal Dan, if God would bring him through this and resuscitate him. And what I have learned is that God's mercy has come in thousands of ways that I never expected. Um, that God's mercy is not just getting the outcome that I wanted, but that God's mercy is like sustaining us and giving me wisdom for my kids and, and providing for us. I mean, this one income family of eight providing yeah. for us in ways I can't even begin to tell you. His mercy is there, even if it comes in a way we don't expect it. 
Yeah, I love that. Friends, you can connect with Lisa at lisaapolo.com and uh, go go check that out. You can connect with her. Thanks for being here, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. This was a great conversation and I appreciate you stewarding this story. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you sharing it. It's uh, it's hard maybe to go to those places, but I know that it's real life for everybody. Yeah. Right? It's, we, people go through it. So thanks for sharing how God was present. Thank you so much.